We are in Leviticus, as if you didn't know, chapter 22. We left off around verse 17. You know something, guys? I am, I am a blessed, blessed man. I really, really am. And, um, you know, I sit back there before I, I come out here. And we have a little um, speaker. Um, so the guys in the back, they can hear me where I'm at. And, um, and then I can hear you guys actually worship. And it's just, I get back there and I'm, a, I'm just like a blubbering idiot back there. I'm going, oh, that's my beeps. Oh, man. You know, and, um, and if it brings me, if it brings me that kind of joy, gang, just a mere human being, imagine what it does to the Father in heaven who adores our worship. That's what the scriptures say. He adores them. Uh, And uh, even our prayers, he saves them. You know, how many of you guys remember what your mate or best friend said to you a year ago? You you don't remember, you know, unless it was something that blew you away. But God cherishes and stores up all our prayers. Prayers for your kids, prayers for your, your husbands and wives, and prayers for the fellowship, you know. Prayer is so powerful. Just real quickly, I, I, I did a funeral this weekend and um, for a little girl, uh, 12 years old. And I, I'll, I'll tell you, I felt the pressure of that, like nobody's business. And I've done this so long, you would think, you know, I, I have this down as a pastor, you know. Uh, but um, this little girl, Brooke, such a sweetheart. Um, she, was, she, she was just finished her race so well. I mean, she, God was totally glorified through this whole thing. But anyway, uh, I was a little nervous uh, because, first of all, it wasn't home. It wasn't here. And it was in this huge church, um, churchy, churchy thing, you know. And they, they had the pulpit area elevated to literally, you think I'm high now? I felt like I was in a, on a second story. And, 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 and then... Uh, they must have been connected with K-Love. You guys know K-Love, the radio? Um, and so Brooke was connected with um, uh, Matthew West and uh, Van Diza. I, I don't know the gal, but apparently she's pretty popular. And they were going to be there. And I'm going, great. And, and Harry from South Jersey, you know? And I'm just getting more nervous, the fear of man, you know? And uh, so uh, we had a meeting with our prayer team. Um, over at my house before this thing and uh, I asked them please pray for me just pray for me uh, that God would be glorified that I wouldn't draw the attention to myself and, and, um, and, and then out of nowhere all these people uh, that were supposed to be there from Caleb their flights were canceled and of course that made it a little bit more uh, hectic, but uh, so I reached out to Richie, you know, and I go, Rich, they want you to sing. And uh, you know Rich, right? Um, he's so meticulous about things. And then when I told him the song, he goes, you got to be kidding me, brother. It's up in the rafters, <laughs> you know? And, uh, and he worked on it that night, and, and there was another gal there, just a no-name person, you, but just a lovely heart. And I'll tell you something, because of the prayers and just the willingness just to go because we were called, man, God was so glorified there. And this little girl, Brooke, she finished her race, not at her death. She finished her race in her funeral. It was just amazing. But we're in Leviticus chapter 22, and we're going to pick it up at verse 17. Oh, the song Rich sang from Mercy Me, and um, it's about, well, I dance with you, Jesus, you know, and uh, you could just almost see this little girl in heaven uh, with her, with her Lord, you know, and it was just a glorious thing. Uh, Starting with verse 17, again, that's where we left off last, last week, I believe, and it says there that the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, now, you know, we're in um, chapter 21 and 22, dealing with the offerings again and uh, how they're to be presented. And 
safe to say uh, what um, frame of mind, the condition of heart, uh, what it was to be like in, off- in presenting your offering or your gift to the Lord. And we're going to see that, and, and I'm only going to cover the, this, the rest of this chapter, and then, you know, that'll be it. But um, the Lord spoke to Moses, a transcendent principle is what the rabbis call it. And what that means is that the worship that is acceptable to God is the worship that God prescribes. Please let me re- just repeat that. The worship that is acceptable to God, what God accepts, receives. Because God doesn't receive all worship. God doesn't receive what's not acceptable. And it is the worship that God prescribes. All throughout the Old Testament, God would tell the Israelites how to worship him, how to present their sacrifice, his sacrifices, their gifts. Now you remember the first five chapters of this book, the book of Leviticus, we dealt with their gifts, their offerings, their oblations. They were to present a burnt offering, a meal offering, a peace offering. And then the next two, which were mandatory and not free will, was the sin and trespass offering. And God described to them and gave them instructions on how to do it. And he goes, do it this way, the way I prescribe it, and then I will accept it. Um, but what about the New Testament? It's all through the Old Testament. It's written out very clearly. But what about the new? Is there a, a I don't want to use the word method. It would be wrong. But is there a, a, a worship that God prescribes from you and I? Well, I think there is. Now, if, if you remember, um, Jesus um, was heading um, back into the, the western part of Israel. He, and it tells us that Jesus must need my old King James, but must needs to go through Samaria. And, and it puzzled the disciples. Like, why on earth would he go through Samaria? You know, because they actually felt that if they even touched the dirt, Samaritan dirt, they would have to brush off their feet before they would enter into Israel. It, they were defiled people by them. And, uh, but, but it says in the scriptures through the Holy Spirit of God that Jesus must needs. He had to. He's compelled. He's being driven by the Spirit. When he gets there, he comes to that area where Jacob's well is and he sees the Samaritan gal sitting there. Now she's puzzled by it, first of all, because he's there. You know, you can almost see in your mind's eye this puzzlement of, 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 an, of an expression like, what is this Jewish guy doing here so deep into Samaria? As he comes up to it, he asks her for a drink. Well, that really kind of bugged her out a little bit. And she started to kind of drill Jesus with, well, with some questions. But she gets to this place where he had revealed to her that he was m- much more than a Jewish man passing through. He said, look, look go call your hubby. Oh, I don't have a husband. Yeah, and the guy you're with isn't your husband, and the last five wasn't your husband either. Oh, oh I perceive that thou art a prophet. And, uh, he, and she, after she perceives that he's more than just a man, you know, just passing through, she goes, hey, listen, I, my fathers, our forefathers, say that we need to worship here on this mountain, but you Jews, you say you've got to worship in Jerusalem. It's a little confusing, isn't it? Oh, and Jesus said, hey, let me tell you the truth. There is coming a time where man and women and children aren't going to look for a mountain. They're going to look to worship God in spirit and in truth. And I say all that just to encourage you that there is a, a prescribed way of worshiping our Lord and Savior, and it is, number one, by spirit. It's got to be spirit-led. It's got to be something that the Holy Spirit is in control of. When man gets involved in worship, tune in here. That's my little radio knob. Tune in here. When they get in- involved... 
God only knows what's being offered up. It, it might even sound right. It might even have that feel where you get a goosebump. My question is, if it's not governed and controlled by the Spirit of God, is that accepted? You're to worship me in spirit. I believe spirit-led, spirit control. And then you're to worship me in truth. Well, what is truth? He told Pilate what is truth. His word was truth. And so as we're being led in worship and serving, and we see in our mind's eye and in our heart, you know, this idea of an altar, and his arms are open wide, and you can just see how God is just wooing you, and you're going, wait a minute, but this all lines up to scriptures, and this is what God is accepting from us. And I'll tell you, I can't come up here without going, wow, we are in the middle of God's will right now. And we are on holy ground right now. And we are in His presence. And it's God that's receiving our praise and our worship and our adoration because we're worshiping the way God has prescribed. It's not outside. Some of these worship songs that I've, I hear on the radio, I start to wonder, where, where did they get the lyrics from? You know, or is it biblical? It, it, is man the one being glorified here or is God being glorified? Now listen, to, there is a, there, there's a difference between a concert and worship time. Worship is not a concert, folks. There are some times when we're ready to break communion and Rich will reach out. You know, what do you want, Harry? Sometimes I just feel led. Hey, Rich, let's just you and I get up there by ourselves this time. Let's just get a couple of stools and lead these dear people and taking communion. Let the Holy Spirit do it. We don't need the ban. Does that make sense, guys? Even in your personal and private worship, let it be driven by the Spirit. Let it be driven and controlled and well done by the Word of God. Anyway, it tells us in verse 18, to speak unto Aaron and to his sons and to all the children of Israel and say unto them that whatsoever he be of the house of Israel... And of the stranger in Israel that will offer his oblation or his offering or his gifts uh, for all his vows. Stop there just for a second. What he's saying here is if you feel compelled to make the offering, the burnt offering, well, um, you know, if you're going to do that, then I want your best. I want your best. If you're going to fulfill a vow. And listen, someone once told me never make a promise to God. Now, I, I get what they're saying. I, but there have been times in my own heart where I'll go, God, I'm telling, I promise I'll never make that mistake again. Now, he knows he's omniscient. He sees the future. He'll know if I'm ready to. But he sees my heart, if that makes sense. And here you are, you're coming to God and you're bringing your ox of choice. It's a perfect uh, uh, sacrifice and you're presenting it to the Lord. And what that represents is, I am totally consecrated unto you, God. I want it all. I want all the chips in, as it were. He goes on and he says, for all his free will offerings, which is the first three, the burnt meal and peace or fellowship, he says, free will offerings, which they will offer to the Lord. Uh, for a burnt offering, you shall offer at your own will a male without blemish of the beeves, of the sheep, of the goat. But whatsoever has a blemish, that shall ye not offer, for it shall not be acceptable for you. And whosoever offers the sacrifice of peace offering unto the Lord and to accomplish his, his vow or his free will offering in beeves or sheep or um, whatever is the idea, uh, it shall be perfect to be accepted. There shall be no blemish therein. And he kind of gives them a kind of a reminder, no blind or broken or maimed, not even a wean or scurvy or scab shall not offer these unto the Lord, nor make an offering by fire uh, of them upon the altar of the Lord, neither a bullock or a ram that has anything superfluous or lacking in, in parts. You know, you know, you have this, this three-legged sheep. 
oh honey, let's just give the, that to the Lord, really. Or you have this old creature that you're going to offer to fulfill your vow, you know, and it's at death's door. You know, this old, <laughs> never mind, I see humor in it. But anyway, he says, don't offer that is bruised or crushed, broken, cut. Neither shall you make any offering thereof in your hands. You know, um, the rabbis uh, took verse 17 through 22, or pardon me, through 20, as a principle to include. Now, you know, let me give you a lesson, guys. Now, that is a distraction. <laughs> um Hey, Richie, you're going to get it? Okay, thanks. I'll send the big guns. Um, as a principle to include everything in, uh, in the temple, such as oil, when they offered their oil, such as wine, uh, the flour for the meal offering, uh, even the wood would have to be wood without blemish, per something that's perfect. And uh, so all the ingredients... Uh, that's involved in worshiping had to be the best. Now, there, there's, of course, rhyme and reason to all that. We said last week that in the Old Testament, there's something that's prophetic in these accounts. We looked at last week how the priest had to be perfect, even in his appearance, that he couldn't have a crushed nose, meaning a broken nose. Uh, he couldn't have a, a dimness of eyes, meaning that he was either far or nearsighted. He couldn't. Have, he had to be almost a perfect human being to, in order to bring the gifts before God. He, he had to be a perfect priest, you know. Now, why? Well, because prophetically, that's going to be a picture of our high priest that he was a, a high priest without spot or wrinkle, or he was per, a perfect person because he was God. So it was a prophetic picture. And again, we, we look at this, this text here, and it's telling it, you know, to, that, that they couldn't present these imperfect gifts, that they had to be the best. And, um, and, and Israel had backslidden so so far away from the Lord that it was endangering their relationship with Him. Now, I'm trying to get on track here. That, that really threw me f for a loop there. But turn with me, if you can, to Malachi, a minor prophet. Um, if you're Italian, you would pronounce it Malachi. Chapter 1, just looking at a few verses. It says there, it says, A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be the father, where's my honor? Stop there for a second. You know, if you know how to pay honor... To an earthly father, where's mine? Now, what grabbed a hold of me reading this is that God would lower himself to this. A God that's omniscient and omnipresent and um, God without sin would have to lower himself to the place where he would associate or relate himself to a man. He goes, if you would show honor to a man this way, then where's my honor? He even says, look, if it be a master, you fear your boss, well then where is my fear? Where's my reverence? Saith the Lord of hosts. He goes, O priest that despise my name, and you will say, wherein have we despised your name? And he answers, You've offered polluted bread upon my altar. You say, where have we polluted thee? 
And in that you say the table of the Lord is contemptible. The table of the Lord is disgraceful. It's shameful. They, they began, instead of bringing their fresh bread to the altar, either for the table of showbread or for, or for just their wave offerings, they started to give them the, the, the bread that's kind of going south a little bit. There's mildew on it. There's, and you wouldn't give it to your children. You wouldn't. You just said, well, then let's just take it to the temple and we'll offer that. And he goes, that, that's how you dishonored me. You didn't give me your best. Now, this is meant to be heavy. And sometimes the word of God is heavy, isn't it? Sometimes the word of God is very challenging. And I want to suggest this, too. If it stops becoming challenging, then I think you really need to, to search, find out. Why is the word of God? Why isn't the word of God have an effect on my life anymore? But, but he says in verse 8, he goes, If you offer blind, a blind for the sacrifice, isn't that evil? If you, you offer the lame and the sick, isn't that evil? Offer it now unto the governor. Will he be pleased with thee? Will he accept thy per, uh, person, saith the Lord of hosts? Man, they were living so far away from God that they were given their cast-offs to the, to the Lord. Moldy bread, a lame animal. In their minds and in their hearts, they're just saying, you know what? We, we can afford to give this. This won't hurt us personally. We'll just... But, the, but see, God said, when you go and you pick out that ox, I want you to scrutinize it. I want you to look at it. I want you to examine it. And I want you to present that which is perfect to me. And if you couldn't afford an ox... Then you could go all the way down to sheep and all the way down to a dove and all the way down to a pigeon. He would never exclude anyone to present an offering of consecration. The only thing he asks is whatever you offer to him, it's your best. It's your best. And again, what he's saying here is you would do it for a family member. You would do it for a wife or for a husband. You certainly wouldn't dishonor your, your boss. You fear him. You don't want to lose your job. You know, Timoth- um, Paul dealt with this idea in Second Timothy. When he was dealing with false teachers and dealing with those that might have an outward appearance that they're all that. Outwardly, they look like there's something religious or something godly. And, but down in their hearts, they've only been giving God the cast-offs, the second hands, the hand-me-downs. He said it like this, they had a form of godliness, but they denied the power thereof. The, the reference to power is... No doubt a reference to the power of the Holy Spirit. Look, they might look good. They might even be like a Pharisee who makes a lot of noise and commotions when they give their offerings. But that's not what I want. I want your best. And when you give, I want you to give your best. And I want you to do it in secret. I don't want man to know what you're doing. You know, these things, these open pledges, they're not scriptural. If you're going to give me the offering of a meal offering, the offering of consecrate, no, the offering of service. Well, if you're going to serve me, he says, well, then I want you to, I want you to serve me with all your heart. Don't give me part of it. I want, if you want a fellowship, that's the peace offering. If you want a fellowship, then, then be all in when you fellowship. And you know what that means, guys? Not just fellowship with one another, but if you're going to take the time, you're going to consecrate your life to me and then you're going to you're going to serve me with all your heart. Well, then when you walk with me and you talk with me, I want it all. I want all of it. I want you. And that's giving your best. It's not about money. The TV evangelist and the extortioner, they'll use these verses and they'll manipulate it and they'll try to twist this thing into Gumby and next thing you know you're under this condemnation that you're not your best, you're not giving your best. Well, what's happening is what he wants, he wants your heart. 
All of it, not part of it. When you serve him, he wants you to all chips in. Serve with all your heart. And of course, the fellowship with one another. How do we, we need that? Amen, guys? They've got a form of godliness, man, but they deny, deny the power thereof. In fact, I found an old Jewish rabbi tradition, and it said any gift for charity should always be the best. Any gift of charity should always be the best. They were even teaching it. That you just don't give... You know, second best. You don't. You don't just give the hand me downs. You, you when you when you give, you serve, you worship. Man, serve him with all your heart. If something happens to you, to me, when we know that our hearts are consecrated to him, when our hearts are fully surrendered in service, when our hearts are fully surrendered in worship. Something happens. You have a satisfaction that you did your best. Even if you don't see the results that you thought you might have seen, would have seen, but just to know that when you did this, when you purposed in your heart to do this, you went and looked for the best, and you gave the best, and you worshiped the best, and you can walk away going, yes. Listen, I want to tell you a little story that happened a lot of years ago. It was on a... Um, one of the Mexico mission trips. Now this this dates way back, maybe oh four, maybe oh five, around it, you know. It was before we actually had a place to sleep in. We were still doing the, the tents. And we were over there by Castle del Pastor and on this lot, all these tents. Every evening we would have a campfire. And I remember there was one of the teenagers there, and I noticed that she was on the edge of the crowd, and she just kept walking back and forth, really looked dismayed, looked like she was down. And so afterwards, I went up to her, and I just said, and I'm not going to mention her name, but I just said, are you all right? And she just broke into tears. And she said, you know, did you see me carrying that baby at the labor camp? And I said, yeah, you were with her well, he or she, but you, you were with him the whole time. She says, she, that, that baby was so malnourished, the baby couldn't feed, feed herself or himself. I had to hold the spoon. And her, I did my best. But when I walked away, I felt like I didn't do enough. But I prayed with her and I fed her. I wanted to throw her in my suitcase and bring her home. And I could just see the brokenness of this young teenager. And I was wordless, if you could believe it or not. I, I was speechless. I, I pray with her, but it just seemed so shallow and weak. And she had such a godly burden. And, but she kept saying, I tried my best. That was in a camp called La Brisa. And that, in that same year, we did three labor camps, different camps. When we got back from the second labor camp, the Lord laid on my heart something Jesus said. He said, listen, when I was um, in prison, did you come and visit me? You know, when I was naked, did you give me any clothes to wear? When I was hungry, man, did you give me any food to eat? And he went on with a more menu, but... He, the disciples looked at him, well, wait a minute, Lord, when have we ever saw you in prison or going hungry or going thirsty? We never, he said this, when you have done it unto the least of these, you have done it unto me. And you think about charity now. When you do it unto the least of these, you're doing. So I went back and I told this young lady, I said, let me, I need to talk to you. And I said, let me tell you something. You might think in your head, you could have done more, or God didn't see it, nothing else. But when you do your best, all you have to do is commit the rest. Because when you do it unto the least of these, you do it unto Jesus. And she just got this smile on her face, so relieved because in her heart, listen, she knew she did her best. Now listen. Are we doing our best? 
And I, I feel safe to say this. You know, I never beat anybody up. I'm not talking about money. But when you come before the Lord and you want to consecrate your heart to Him, are you giving it to, to Him completely? The sacrifice of praise when you come to worship... Are you doing it consciously saying, I am going to worship God. I don't care what the enemy wants to do right now. I'm lifting my hands. I'm raising my voice. I'm singing about his arms are open wide. Come to the altar. And you leave here. You go, you know what? I, man, I committed it all today. Or when we fellowship with one another. Are you doing your best? Because the kind of worship that God accepts is what he prescribes. And that's what he prescribes, folks. He doesn't want it halfway. If you're going to be called into the ministry, whatever and that, whatever you do, do it with all your hearts. Amen, guys? Look at verse 25. He says, Neither from a stranger's hand shall you offer the bread of of your God, of any of these, because their corruption is within them. That's just equivalent of saying you really don't need the world to promote you. You don't really need the world to support you. God's got it. Blemish, blemishes be in them. They shall not be accepted for you. Um, there, there, there might even be a cost to it. And I don't mean always financially. There might be some kind of sacrifice. Well, that's why they call it a sacrifice. Moreover, brothers, I, um, moreover, brethren, um, I, I declare unto you to present yourself as a living sacrifice. Well, guess what? Sometimes that takes an effort to say, I present myself to you. I want you to turn with me to First Chronicles. Chapter 21. First Chronicles, chapter 21. David blew it, man. David blew it. He, God said, I don't ever want you to count. Don't count numbers. Don't count the Israelites. Well, he sets up a census. And God's going to judge this thing. And people started to die a pestilence, infectious disease of some sort. David knew what he did. And he knows he's got to make a sacrifice. He's got to correct this thing. In a vision, he saw an angel between heaven and earth holding a sword. And he knew he had to do something like right away, not procrastinate. So he decides he's going to build an altar to make a sacrifice. Look at verse 21. And as David came to Ornan, Ornan looked and he saw David, King David, and he went out of the threshing floor. A threshing floor was a flat um, piece of bedrock or some kind of a stone, but it was flat, uh, flat. Usually it's high in elevation, so the wind would carry away the chaff, but it was a desirable piece of ground. He goes out to the threshing floor. He bows himself before King David with his face to the ground. David said to Ornan, hey, grant me the peace, the peace of this threshing floor, that I may build an altar therein unto the Lord. Thou shalt grant me for full price that the plague may be stayed from the people. Ornan said unto David, I'll take it to thee. Let my Lord the King do that which is good in his own eyes. Lo, I give thee an ox for the burnt offering, the threshing uh, instruments for wood, and the wheat for the meat offering. I'll give it to you. And listen to what David says. David said to Ornan, No, but I will verily buy it for the full price. For I will not take that which is thine for, for the Lord or offer burnt offerings without cost. It's got to cost me something. That's not my principle. I didn't write this. There's no such thing when it comes to consecrating our lives. There's no such thing when it comes to an offering of service. 
No such thing when we say we're presenting the offering of fellowship with the word attached to it, convenient. When it's convenient. Oh, it's convenient today to come to church. Oh, it's convenient now to... It doesn't cost you anything. Now listen, I think I need to say this too before you're any more confused. We're not talking about salvation. Your salvation is by your faith and through grace. And that's it. But when we talk about that next step, where you're in love with God and you want to consecrate your life to Him, it might cost you something. It's not always convenient. When you want to say, Lord, I'm so in love with you, I want to, I want to uh, present a, a meal offering, an offering of service, but then you can count on it that you might have to labor to do that. You might have to perfect the gift that's within you with the help of the Holy Spirit. But David said, no, this is a sacrifice. This is where I'm going to present a gift and it has to cost me something. And when that sinks in, I know I'm really dragging this out, guys, but it's so important. Once that sinks in, then you have a peace that surpasses human understanding. All of a sudden, there's a connection between heaven and, and, and your heart. And you know that you're in the will of God and there's a joy. When I told that young lady, no, that sacrifice that you made that entire day trying to feed that child, man, that brought such peace into her heart. It's, it's costly sometimes. Look at verse 26. And the Lord spake unto Moses. I'm sorry, go back to Leviticus. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, When a bullock or sheep or goat is brought forth, when it shall be seven days under the dam, speaking of the mother, and from the eighth day, and henceforth it shall be accepted for an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And whether it be a cow and yule, or you shall not kill it and her young both in the same, in one day. You know, it, you just, you see a tenderness of God here. You know, you, in other words, a calf or a lamb or a goat or any animal, it must be left with its mother for, for that time period. You, you, that's, that's God's law toward nature. And it, it seems like there's a respect of nature. There's almost a reverent order when it comes to nature. <clears throat> a cross-references uh, that are similar to this, Exodus 23, Deuteronomy 20, Deuteronomy chapter 22, it, it talks about the order of things. Now, I think we should be conscious of what's happening in the, with the environment. I really do. I think we should be conscious of it. It can even be a prayer issue. I believe that what we see in some of these national parks, I don't know about you, it's almost like a gift of God. Sometimes I sit there and I look at it and I go, wow, God, you are so cool. How did you develop that, you know, or create that? And uh, <clears throat> we should be concerned. But listen, this is, this is where it, it, it's divided. You don't worship it. There's no such thing as Mother Nature. Please don't say that to me. <clears throat> I really do. I, I think that we should be conscious of it, but not when it supersedes humanity. In other words, they spend millions and millions of dollars in this one area of the West Coast um, to save this one particular owl. Now, I have nothing against this owl. But we're aborting babies at a record rate. And we're spending millions and millions of dollars to pr protect the bird. And don't get me wrong, I think we should. But, we, but see where our nation is going, so far away from the will of God. Look at verse 29. And when you offer the, a sacrifice of thanksgiving unto the Lord, offer it at your own will. In other words, if you bring this offering of thanksgiving and you do it um, from a free will, from your heart. 
<clears throat> pardon me. <clears throat> you know, the greatest example of that was Christ. When he presented himself, he presented himself as a sacrifice. He did it from a willing heart. In fact, it says there in Hebrews, for the joy that was set before him, he went to endure the, the cross. And you know who that joy was? It was you and me. I'm going to close this up quickly where it says on the same day, it, um, it shall be beaten up. You shall leave none of it until the morrow. I am the Lord. Wait a minute. I just totally lost my place here, didn't I? Verse 26, 27, 30. All right. The same day it shall be eaten up. You shall not leave none of it until the morrow. I am the Lord. Therefore, you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. Neither shall you profane my holy name. But I will be hallowed among the children of Israel. I am the Lord, which hallow you. That brought you up out of the land of Egypt to be your God. I am the Lord. You know, we just see this principle here in reference to profaning his name. A warning not to do it. A warning to keep his, his name holy. I guess what we should say is in all my life, I should guard the name of God and never tarnish his name. And is that possible of tarnishing the name of God? Oh, I believe it is. It's, it, we can. It's, it's, it's possible. And of course, we could make a study out of this. But let me just say this in a nutshell. This is one way you can tarnish his name. And that is to use his name in vain. And some might think using the name of God in vain is to use it as a curse word. Well, to beg the differ with you, it's not. It's not. I mean, you shouldn't use it as a curse word. But that's not what it means. It means this, and this is why it's applicable to Christians. It means to use his name devoid of meaning or devoid of any truth. It's just to use his name like a common household name. And it isn't. The onema of God, the Greek, it means that name represents. It represents uh, uh, an essence. It represents uh, uh, God and his attributes. When we say the name of Jesus, we're not thinking there's some power in J-E-S-U-S. The power lies behind the name, what it represents, that he's, he's omnipotent. He's all-powerful. Omniscient, he's all-knowing. All Omnipresent, he's everywhere. He's holy, and within his presence can dwell no sin at all, no wickedness. And we use that name to, to lead people to Christ, do we not? Because there's no name given under heaven that whereby a man can be saved. And that every, at that name, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. At that name, all demons in hell will tremble. And we're going to use it like a household name. I think not. And I've even catched myself, you know, just using it in a joke, you know. We've got to be careful. Because there is rhyme and reason and purpose for that name when we think about that name and we're praying with somebody that needs to receive christ you got to say that man who sported that that name around the name of jesus was the man who was the perfect lamb of god and god in the flesh and took your sin that's what that name means and we have to be careful because we are so bathed in grace and mercy that we forget some of the principles and the precepts of god and we think they're not applicable to our own lives. And that when we read these Old Testament laws, sometimes we'll go through them real quickly and we'll go, well, how we're in the New Testament. We're not under the law. No, we're not under the law as a schoolmaster anymore. No, Jesus said this way. Don't think that I've come to do away with the law, but I've come to fulfill the law. Well, how is the law fulfilled? It's fulfilled within the heart. The law is not done away with. Paul called it, it was perfect. The pure, he said, I would not have known what covetousness was, except if the law didn't say, thou shalt not covet. And Paul understood that was a weakness of his. The law is good. But the law to us is not written on some parchment or some book or on the leaflet, your notebook. And the law of God now, according to Paul the Apostle, is written on the tablets of our hearts. Well, what does that mean? What does that look like? Well, you're in prayer and you're sitting there and you're just, you know, you're so in love with the Lord and you want to consecrate your life 
in totality and you're sitting there and then he reveals to you, you know, well then, Harry, if you want to do this, my word says never to use my name in vain. And you're using it like some kind of common household thing and you need, if you want to consecrate, hey, I don't want any other God before me, Harry. Thou shalt not have any other gods. Well, what, what, what other God do I have? Well, this has taken my place and he starts to lay it out and you want to, you, you repent of it. That's fulfilling the law in your heart. To love your neighbor like you love yourself. It's God's law. And it's fulfilled within a heart. But why is it there? We're for, for us, guys, and I'm going to close out with this. And Richie can make your way out here. But there's several things. And again, if you can jot them down, great. But I believe that the law, the commandments, the precepts, whatever you want to tag that with, was given to us to really reveal to us what is wicked, what is immoral, what is, what is evil. Without the law of God, Paul could not have known what covetousness was. Without the law of God, I would not know if I'm giving him all my heart. Without the law of God, I wouldn't know how to love my neighbors. I love my son. The love protects us. It's like guardrails on the road. Yeah, we might try to veer off from time to time. Not try, but we do it. And we hit that guardrail. And what does that do? It wakes us up quickly, doesn't it? And we go right back. A couple of weeks ago, I used the illustration of those little bumps on the side of the road. Don't they startle you? Oh, my goodness. It's like a, a, an automatic heart attack. Oh, you know. Well, that's what the Word of God is like. You start to read something out of the Scriptures, and all of a sudden your heart just starts to palpitate. You go, oh my God, I I would not have known this, Jesus. I'm sorry. Your Word is so pure and holy. I repent of it. I leave it at the cross. Cleanse me. Search me, man. See if there's any evil in me. Not only does it show us what wickedness and moral or evil things there is, but it also shows us the good. It shows us what is decent and respectable and, and moral. And it shows the believer who wants his life to be blameless and pure. It shows him how to do it. Now again, just as I sit and I look at you this afternoon, we're not talking about salvation. I'm talking to you. Listen, look at me. If you're saved and you want more, I'm talking to you. Because you can just come, have your fire insurance, know you're saved, and get stuck in this rut and never go any further. Really, is that what you want as a believer? Is that what you want? You want to serve? Someone with all your heart? Do you want to fellowship with Him with all your heart? You want that life of consecration? It could cost us something. His word says it's like a lamp unto our feet. It tells us that our steps have been held fast on His path. Psalms 23, He leads me in the what? The path. His law does it. His precepts does it. Listen, I am the king of grace, man. I know that within me, Paul and I are going to sit down, I think, for about a thousand years, and we're going to have it out about who is the chiefest of sinners, because I think I'm, I beat him. I know our salvation is by grace. But what breaks my heart is I just see so many believers, they get stuck in this rut. And they're just, I guess they're just being ripped off. Because there's so much more than just having your fire insurance. I believe it even keeps us from harm, the word, the precepts, the law. It keeps us from harm. God knows what's best for us, guys. We don't, do we? God's command, I believe, are really designed in a godly way. To live a life that's pleasing to Him. And if it's pleasing to Him, it'll be pleasing to you. Amen, guys? Now listen. If you feel beat up right now, the Bible says you've got to forgive your pastor. No. No, again, the Word of God can be, can be heavy, can't it? 
It can be. But I thank God sometimes for that heaviness. I thank God that he doesn't leave me alone. I've given him permission a long time ago. God bug me. If I'm not where you want me, don't let me rest. I want you to stand with me. There's a song written way back in the 70s. Larry Norman wrote it. It was called, I Am a Servant. Some of the lyrics, it's been a long time. I've been sitting in the hall just waiting for my call. But then he said, and he fills my heart. He satisfies my soul. This whole song was about being a servant. And if we allow ourselves, we'll just sit in a hallway and we won't do anything more than that. Nothing. Kids, I don't want you to be that way. I want to see God blessing you. Being used for the kingdom. Would you lower your heads just for a second? And just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your hearts. If you're here this morning or this afternoon, and maybe you're more confused now after listening to me, it could be that you just don't know him yet in a personal way. That's very possible. But I know the Lord loves you, and he, he died for you. He shed his blood. He presented himself as a gift, like we do. We present our gifts. He presented himself as a gift, died for you, so that all your sins can be forgiven. But just like God has to accept our gifts, you have to accept his or you're here today and you just want to receive God's gift of salvation, would you just raise your hand and then just put it right back down for me? First time ever. Anyone else? Now let me talk to you Christians. Maybe your heart is being stirred. Maybe you realize that there's much more in the kingdom You know, I just talked to or emailed a buddy of mine and he was talking about how we are in his kingdom and how glorious it is to be used as a servant within his kingdom. If you're dealing with anything in your heart where you're just saying, how I want more than just this, I want to be used, I want to consecrate my life, would you just put up your hand and put it right back down again okay anyone else great I got the same response to the first service I mean how could you not listen Rich is going to lead us out in a song I'm going to ask if the prayer team is here that they'll start making their way down here but I'm going to ask you if you raised your hand if you would just be courageous bold enough to come down meet me here let's pray together let's consecrate our lives to him as we sing that song i want you to to come down